And this morning we're going to look at Psalm 145. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you can borrow one from the pew that's in front of you, or you can just look in the bulletin. The whole psalm is printed there, and we'll look at the whole thing. But Psalm 145 is sort of like an all-you-can-eat buffet of the character of God. And there's a great dilemma when you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet, which is the plate size. And you can only put so many things on your plate. So we're going to walk down this all-you-can-eat buffet this morning about the character of God. I know I'm making you hungry, probably. (laughs) And we can only stop at so many places. We can only eat so much of this food at once. But let's look at this psalm together, Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. To make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is God's word. Let's pray. Almighty God, how we need you, especially now as we look at your word. Would you show us yourself by the power of your spirit, especially in the face of your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, there's a lot of places we could stop on the buffet line that is Psalm 145. We're going to look mostly this morning at verse 9, which says that the Lord is good to all. There's an interaction between Jesus and a man that's recorded in three of the four Gospels in the New Testament. And the man's described as a rich, young ruler in uh, one of those accounts. So he's rich, he's young, and he's got power. And he comes to Jesus and he asks him this question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is sort of vintage Jesus, that he doesn't just answer the man's question, which is a great question, by the way. Instead, Jesus asks the man a question about one of the things that he said. He responds by saying, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
Jesus is drawing on something that the Old Testament says over and over and over, and that's all over this psalm too, that God is good. So we're going to think about that this morning in really two ways. First, the Lord is good. Second, the Lord is good to all. The Lord is good first. What does it mean that God is good? It means that God defines goodness. It's not just that there's a standard of good out there that God happens to meet. It's more than that. It's that God defines goodness. The things that we find good have their origin in God. And there are all kinds of things that we find good, aren't there? Sunrises are good. Sex is good. Sandwiches are good. And all of those things come from God. They're his idea. The goodness of them comes from God. Jonathan Edwards, the colonial theologian, uh, he talked about God like a fountain. He says this, Surely it is no argument of indigence, it's a fancy word for poverty, surely it is no argument of indigence in God that he is inclined to communicate of his infinite fullness. It is no argument of the emptiness or deficiency of a fountain that it is inclined to overflow. God's like a fountain of goodness that overflows into our world. And everything good that you and I experience comes from God. Look at verse 15 and 16. I know I said we're camping out at verse 9, but we just had to snag a little something from verse 15 and 16. It says this, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. So let's think about a sandwich for a second. Let's say this afternoon that for lunch you have a turkey sandwich on organic whole wheat bread. And here's the question. Who made your sandwich? Maybe you think, well, I made it for myself. Or maybe, you know, since the man preaching is asking the question, the answer is God. Okay, trump card, well played. But who else made your sandwich? The first ingredient in the bread of your sandwich is organic whole wheat flour, which means that somewhere, somebody purchased wheat seeds, tilled the ground, planted the seeds, rain fell on them, the sun shone on them. They did not fertilize because it's organic. They pulled weeds, they put on topsoil, they waited, they harvested, probably a group of combine drivers, which means somebody had to invent and manufacture those combines. They shipped that wheat off to a miller who ground the wheat using a millstone that had to be quarried in a quarry by miners. A truck driver driving a truck that was also designed, engineered, manufactured, drives that truck to a processing plant where the flour is part of a recipe with 32 other organic ingredients. Overseen by a baker who puts that bread into an oven. How many people did it take to make the oven? Someone puts the baked bread into a branded plastic bag that a marketing team designed. It's put on another truck and driven to a grocery store in Greenville, South Carolina. So who made the sandwich? The whole world. Now, if there's someone behind that whole process, how might we describe him? He's pretty good. We experience so much of the goodness of God. Sometimes, 
when we're experiencing the goodness of God, it just flows naturally out of us to be grateful for those things, but sometimes we're lulled to sleep by the goodness of God. You'll see, it is Father's Day. You might see one of these today. And it's summertime, so you start to see more and more of these. But you know the t-shirts that say, life is good. And normally there's a guy on the t-shirt who's on a hammock or grilling or playing golf. All things that I enjoy, by the way. I saw another t-shirt not too long ago in a store that said, trust the universe. Which one of those two t-shirts do you wear to a funeral? Or to visit a friend in the hospital who just got an awful diagnosis? It's actually when life is bad that you and I need to know that life is good. And sometimes when life is good that we're most prone to forget that God is good. But we need to know that God is good when life is bad. It's sort of like the time when you most need a flashlight is when you're in a cave. If you're out in the beautiful sunshine, you feel like, why would I need this flashlight? But it's when the lights of your life go out that you need a light. And it's when our lives become hard and painful that we need most to know that God is good. I heard John Piper, the pastor, tell this story several years ago about a couple who was pregnant with a child, and they found out during the pregnancy that the child had a condition that would cause it to not be able to live outside of the womb, and so it was stillborn. And when the child was born, the nurse asked the mother, uh, said, it's a boy, are you going to give him a name? She said, his name is Toby, which is short for Tobiah, which is Hebrew for the Lord is good. Those are the words in verse 9. Tobiah. The Lord is good. God is good. But that does not mean that everything that God does will seem like the thing that we think he should do. In fact, Jesus' disciples are always running into this. And the people around Jesus are always running into this. That he's not doing the things that they think he should be doing. There are so many examples of this, but here's a few. When Jesus' friend Lazarus is sick, he gets a message that says Lazarus is ill at the point of death, and it says he stayed where he was for two days. And then he starts his journey toward Lazarus. And when he gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And both of his sisters say to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. In other words, you're not doing, you didn't do the thing I wanted you to do or that I thought you should do. There's a father whose little girl gets sick, and he sends a messenger to Jesus saying, please, can you come heal my daughter? She's at the point of death. And Jesus says, sure, and he starts to go on his way to heal this little girl. And on the way, another woman who's ill interrupts Jesus, and Jesus heals this woman, and it says he takes time to to listen to her. And while he's sitting there listening to this woman who he's just healed, a messenger from that little girl's house comes and says, you don't need to bother with it anymore. The girl's died. Jesus, you didn't do the thing that I wanted you to do, or that I thought you should do. One time, Jesus and his disciples are, uh, they need to go on a journey, and Jesus says, let's get in a boat, and let's go across this, uh, this sea here. It's Jesus' idea to get in the boat, and they all get in the boat, and while they're going, a storm comes, there's rain, there's wind, there's waves, and the water's crashing into the boat, and some of the disciples have history with, you know, seas and sailing and things like that. And so they're bailing water, and they know this is the kind of storm that could take us out, that could drown us. And they're looking around while they're bailing water, doing what they can to stay alive, and they realize there's somebody who's not here helping, and it's Jesus. 
And it says that he's asleep on a cushion in the back of the boat. And so they go over to Jesus and they shake him up. And here's the question they ask. Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? You know, some of you have dogs, and if your dog were to eat something they're not supposed to eat, this has happened to some of you, the dog has to have surgery, and you might have to spend more money than you ever dreamed of spending on your dog to keep that dog alive through surgery. But imagine trying to explain to your dog what has to happen to them in order for them to stay alive. We're going to put you to sleep, slice you open, take the thing that you ate out of your tummy, and then we're going to put a giant cone around your head for two weeks. You're going to be the talk of the town. Same goes if you had to build an electric fence around your house to keep your dog safe or put your overweight dog on a diet. You can't explain that to a dog, but you're being good to the dog in doing those things, aren't you? The intellectual distance between your dog and you is smaller than the intellectual distance between us and God. So God being good does not mean he'll always do what we think he should do. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, he throws this line out there that we throw around in all the wrong places, if we're honest. But he says this, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, if you just stopped right there, if that's all you heard from the Apostle Paul, and you stopped right there, and we got to say, okay, what are the implications of that? God's working all things together for your good. That's us. We love God and are called according to his purpose. And he's working all things together for your good. So what are the implications? You might say, well... I guess I won't experience outsized amounts of pain in life if God's working things for my good. Surely I won't experience death, famine, nakedness. Nobody's going to come and try to kill me, are they? If God's working all things together for my good. Just a couple verses later, here's what Paul also says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, we are being killed all day. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Do you know why he mentions all those things in that list? He's saying, you very well might experience these things. You actually might experience these things because you love God and are called according to his purpose. But you need to know something. The point of your life is not to not experience pain. The point of your life is not to not experience tribulation and sword and famine and nakedness. The point of your life is to be close to God. And even through those things, God can draw you closer to himself. And when those things happen, you need to know it's not meaningless because the one behind all of it is good. The Lord is good. Second, the Lord is good to all. King David, who wrote this, does not have to say that the Lord is good to all. This is the songbook for the people of God. David is the king of Israel. He envisions Israelites singing this song. But he decides to say, you know what? The goodness of God spills out over into the entire world, that everyone in the world experiences the goodness of God. Because everybody in the world experiences sunshine and sandwiches. Jesus doubles down on this in the Sermon on the Mount, which is full of Jesus' ideal for the kingdom of God or ideal for life and the most famous teachings of God. If you ever hear somebody say, you know, I'm not so crazy about Jesus. 
uh, or I'm not so crazy about Christians, but I love the things that Jesus taught. A lot of things that they're talking about, what they might be resonating with, are things in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, here's a zinger at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Now, if we asked, okay, why, Jesus? Why should we love our enemies? Here's Jesus' answer. He goes on. When you love your enemies, you'll be like God because he makes the sun rise on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And he sends rain to fall on the good and on the evil. Here's what that means. I don't know who you hate and I don't know why you hate them. But picture them for a moment. The person that you hate or the kind of person that you hate may very well right now be enjoying a sandwich on a beach with a bank account full of money and exquisite Father's Day plans and people who think they're wonderful. And God says, I have no problem being good to them. None at all. Now, some of us say, that's not fair, or that's not right. You can't do that because the person that you pictured when I said, I don't know who you hate, is someone who's really wronged you. And some of you have experienced real wrong, real evil in this world at the hands of real evil people. And so we say, that's not right. God, you can't do that. You can't just be good to everyone. Did you catch verse 20 at the end of the psalm, second to last verse? It says, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. All the wicked he will destroy. Now, some of us who might have just been saying, God, you can't be good to all. We hear that and we go, whoa, 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 whoa. What happened to you being good to all? Which is it? Are you going to destroy the wicked or are you going to be good to all? Well, let's ask ourselves, which one do you want God to be? Do you want him to destroy the wicked or do you want him to be good to all? We can think about it this way. Is God a good father or is he a good judge? See, if a kid drops their ice cream cone on the ground and a father says, Psh, no big deal, let's go get another one, that's a good father. But if somebody robs you and they go to court to be tried for their robbery of you and the judge goes, Psh, no big deal, that's a bad judge. So what do we want God to be? Good father or a good judge? I want you to think just about yourself for a moment. Are you good or are you evil? If we're honest, we have things about ourselves that we like, things that we're proud of, too proud of. And we have things about ourselves that we're ashamed of, things about ourselves that we don't want to talk about, we don't want people to know about. So how do you want God to treat you, the good and the bad? And if we want God to treat us like a good father who says, no big deal, then we don't have any ground to stand on to say, well, you can't just be handing out sandwiches and sunshine to the evil people. When we try to hold this tension, we really struggle. Sometimes we end up speaking nonsense when we try to hold this tension. We try to be both. If we think to ourselves, okay, I'm going to be good. All the way down to the bottom, I'm going to be good. 
I'll be both a good father and a good judge. We end up saying things like this. We look at the world and we say, you know one of the big problems in the world? There's hatred out there in the world. People hate each other. I'm so against hatred that I hate people who hate people. (laughs) So if we can't hold this tension, how can God be both? Here's how. In Jesus Christ, God is both a good father and a good judge. In Jesus Christ, God both loves you and deals with the evil in you. Jesus Christ is God himself who came down to earth and who kicks us out from under the judgment of God that we deserve. And he bears it himself so that capital J justice can be satisfied. That the evil that's within us really is paid for by Jesus. (laughs) And so that God can look at us and say, Jesus has paid. Now I get to look at you and go, you're mine. I love you. Your mind. This is the deep goodness of God. The abiding. This is this is goodness so far above sandwich and sunshine. It's the deep goodness of God that says, "I don't just want to give you nice things. I want to be yours. I want to know you. I want you to enjoy me, and I want to enjoy you in a very real relationship." That's the deep goodness of God, and the deep goodness of God is available to anyone. Listen to the way the psalm talks. Verse 18 and 19 and 20. It says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. The psalmist is saying, the door to the deep goodness of God is open to you, and if you will take it, you can have it. If you will walk through that door, you can have the deep forever goodness of God. And Jesus loved to talk this way, loved to talk this way. He's always saying, anyone who comes to me, whosoever believes in me, are any of you thirsty? Come to me and drink. Anyone, all, whoever. There's a place in John chapter 12 where Jesus says, now is the judgment that he's going to take, by the way, And he says, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Now, there are only a few places in the New Testament where the writers feel like they need to jump in and sort of tell us why Jesus said something. A lot of times, they just leave what Jesus said out there for us to think about and chew on, and preachers get to try to talk about it. But in this instance, John, Jesus' friend, It's almost like you can see him not being able to hold back, but to jump in and just tell you why Jesus said that. Here's what he says. So Jesus says, I'll be lifted up from the earth and I'll draw all men to myself. And John says this, this was to show by which kind of death he would die. You know what he means? Jesus says, I'm gonna be lifted up from the earth like this on a cross so that I can draw all men to myself. Because what does this look like? It's Jesus saying to the world, My arms are open to you. Do you want me to pay what you owe? Do you want me to be the doorway to the goodness of God that never goes away? My arms are open to you. Come to me. Anyone who wants it. Now for some of us, 
It makes a lot of sense today to wear a life is good t-shirt, and that's wonderful. For others of us, it doesn't make any sense today to wear a life is good t-shirt. So how do we know that God is good when life is hard? Where do we look? When the circumstances of our lives aren't telling us that we're getting the things that we think we should get, where do we look? We look at Jesus Christ dying on the cross, suffering for us. We have to ask ourselves that same question about the sandwich. All right, the one who's behind this cross, the one who's behind, the one who is the sufferer, who's suffering in my place, is he good to me? Even when my life doesn't look like it, if I look at that cross, look at him dying for me, I can know for sure that he's good to me. So what are the implications of this? If the Lord is good all the time, if the Lord is good to all, and if the Lord's deep goodness is open to the entire world, what are the implications of this? Well, at least a few. First, if God is good to all, and this is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if God is good to all, you can be good to all. We have the resources in looking at the cross of Jesus Christ to be good, not just to the people we feel like being good to, but to be good to enemies. And boy, is that a tall task. Boy, is that asking a lot. But it's Jesus' ideal for us, his ideal for the world. And we, we don't just have Jesus saying, get out there and go do that. We have Jesus saying, let me fill your bank account with my love so that you can give it out to the world for free. So if we know God is good, and if we know how good he's been to us, then we can be good to anyone. It also means this. We don't have to worry about the other shoe dropping in our lives all the time. We can know that God is good and that he's working all things out for good, that there's an ultimate good that the writer of the story knows is coming and we're written into that story in love and we can trust him. You know, when the disciples get this precious little chunk of time after the resurrection, I have to imagine that they were working out the implications of the fact that Jesus had died and they had abandoned him and that everything that they had experienced with Jesus, they now had to see through the lens of Jesus suffering on the cross in their place and then rising from the dead. So this awful thing is happening and it's happening for them and then this great thing happens. There's resurrection because there's, there's always death before there's resurrection. So you can almost imagine a disciple in that time with Jesus after the resurrection saying, hey, y'all, do you remember that time when Jesus told us, let's get on that boat and let's go across? And there was a big storm, and we were all so afraid. We were all sure we were going to die. And we were all sure that Jesus didn't care because he was sleeping. We were always going to be all right, weren't we? And Jesus was always going to die, wasn't he? God did not send his son to live and die and rise in your place because he's indifferent towards you. He did that because he's good and you can trust him. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your goodness. We praise you for your goodness. We pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes in our hearts to see who you really are, what you're really like, that you are good all the way down to the bottom, that you are a good father, you are a good judge, you are good in ways that are beyond our imagination, 
And therefore, we can trust you, Lord. Help us to trust you. Make us people who do trust you, who look to the Lord Jesus living and dying in our place and see proof forever that you really are good and you're worthy of all of our trust. Lord, shape us, make us to be people who trust you. We praise you for your goodness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.